What a beautiful song that was, and she sang it so well. What a blessing. Can you say that this morning? I believe. I believe in Jesus. We shouldn't be ashamed to say it. Back a number of years ago, there was a girl, and she was at that Columbine High School that day when those shooters were were killing kids, and it was so sad. And they went around asking different people, and they say, do you believe in God? And she says, I do believe. I do believe in God. And they shot her. You know, in many parts of the world, it's dangerous to be a Christian. It costs you something. Here in our country, we don't suffer the persecution like that, that many countries face. But we do have a lot of stigma, a lot of people uh, that don't like us because we're Christians. And may the Lord help us to realize there is a cost in being a Christian. There is a price, like we sang in that song. What is the price I must pay? There is a price. Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer? Father, we pray that you'll direct this message by the Holy Spirit today, that your word would go out and touch lives. We pray for anyone not saved, that they will get saved today. And we pray for every believer here, that we will be willing to stand for you, Lord, and that we will take the, the, we will count the cost and we will pay the price. And Lord, no matter what happens to us, we know that we have a future that is beyond the grave in heaven above with you. And we pray now that you'll hide me behind the cross, Lord, and speak to our hearts today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in life today, people associate you with who you're associated with. And so if you associate with someone who is popular, you can be popular. And if you associate yourself with someone who's not popular, you can be unpopular. And today, people associate with all kinds of things. They associate themselves with political parties. They associate with certain candidates. They associate with certain sports teams. They're fans of, of those teams. And, and so they're, they're associated. They're identified. Well, as Christians, we're identified with Christ. We have chosen to say, I do believe in him. He is my Lord and Savior, and my life is based on on Christ. He saved me from my sins. He gave me eternal life. He's changed my life. He's transformed me. And now I want to associate myself. I want to align myself with Christ and show forth that I'm a Christian. And nowadays it can be very unpopular. People will, will talk to you about any religion you want to talk about. They won't say anything bad to you about it at all, no matter who you, uh, what religion you're involved in, until you start mentioning Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? That immediately turns the conversation. The talk show host on the radio or on the TV or whoever it is will immediately say, let's go to break, or they'll direct the conversation another way. It, it turns... It turns completely. The name of Jesus, just the name of Jesus, associates certain things with people. And they don't realize how loving he is. They don't realize how much he can change their lives. They, they just as associate a certain thing about Jesus and they don't want it. They don't want it. And the reason is, is because light, darkness does not love light. 
as it says in, in John's gospel. Darkness hates the light because it exposes their sin. When Jesus came, can you imagine when he came into contact with people, they were immediately convicted of their sins because of who he was, because he was perfect. He was righteous. He was holy. He was sinless and blameless. And so whenever Jesus came into the room, it changed the whole conversation. It changed the fabric of everything. And today, the subject of our, our message is, it's a question. What does it cost to be a Christian? What does it cost to be a Christian? Now, we know we're saved by grace. It's a free gift. So when we come to Christ, it costs us nothing to be saved. We're agreed on that. It's by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. But if you want to walk with him, if you want to be his disciple... If you want to be his close follower, it is going to cost you something. And not just something, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. And we're going to look at a character from the Bible today, Moses. And we're going to look at what it says about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 records all the men and women of faith who believed in the Lord. And it always says, by faith. By faith, by faith. And there's a wonderful list there. And one of them is Moses. And more is said about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 than of any of the other characters, including Abraham and all the different ones. More is said about Moses. And we're going to look at three verses today. Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 24 through 27. Reading from the New King James Version. By faith, Moses... When he became of age, in other words, he grew up to a certain age, maturity, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. I found a little poem that really speaks of this about how we should take the opportunity uh, to stand for the Lord and, and be his servant. The poem says this, The Lord spoke to my heart one day, saying, Child, you need to pray. There's special work for you to do. Fields are white and laborers are few. At first I did not heed the call. The work to me looked very small. I saw the thing that God had done, the precious souls, another one. So penitent I went to him and pled forgiveness of my sin. He hearkened to my pleading voice, but gave to me his second choice. And now his will I do obey, but oft remember yesterday. You know, if we miss opportunities, sometimes we settle for second choice. God had a plan for us. He wanted the first choice for us. He wanted his best for us, but we didn't do it. And it reminds us of Moses in the Old Testament. I remember when we studied it in the book of uh, Genesis and Exodus. And it's amazing. Moses, 
had excuses at the beginning. God called him to be the leader, to be the redeemer, to deliver Israel from out of Egypt. And he made every excuse he could think of. Every single excuse. And every time God said to him, No, Moses, I'll be your mouth. I'll be your words. I'll put words into your mouth. Every excuse he had, the Lord had a reason why he needed to do this mission. And finally, Moses says, Lord, send somebody else. Send somebody else. But praise God, he didn't send somebody else. God is persistent. If he wants to call you to do something for him, he loves you so much, he's going to be persistent. He's going to keep, I won't use the word bugging you, but he's going to remind you and he's going to put it on your heart to do it for the Lord. And if we don't listen to it, we're going to be like this man. We're going to settle for God's second choice, his second best because we haven't received his first choice. And when God called Moses, he used him in a mighty way. And I love Moses so much. You know, Moses lived to be 120 years old. And you know that God conducted the funeral service. God conducted the memorial service. It was just him and and Moses. God took him up to the mountain and he says, Moses, come on, we're going to go up. It's your time to go. And God buried Moses. And to this day, no one knows where that grave is of Moses. Isn't that amazing? God loved Moses so much. It said he spoke to the Lord like they were friends. He had that close, intimate, personal connection with the Lord throughout his life. He saw the burning bush. He saw the Lord. He talked to the Lord through the burning bush. And God called him to that ministry of taking out all these people from Egypt, all the Israelites, and to leave and go out and go forth. And he led them to the promised land where they went in and took possession of it. Well, today we're going to look at four things that had to do with Moses and his faith, as mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. Number one, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's number one. Number two, he chose to suffer with the people of God. Number three, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. It's amazing sometimes we read things in the Old Testament and then we read them in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit explains more about what they were going through in the New Testament to help us understand it. And this is one of them. He said he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. And number four, he forsook Egypt and endured to the end. So number one, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We know the story that Pharaoh at that time was killing all the baby boys. And so Moses' parents, it mentions their faith in the preceding verse. They took him and they, and they gave him to uh, Moses' sister. And she took him there to the water and put him in a little ark, a little basket on the water. And Miriam is his sister. And there it was that Pharaoh's daughter was there to bathe in the river Nile. And she heard the cry of the baby. And then she took the baby. And then she said, I need somebody to nurse the baby. And there was the sister. And she said, I know who's someone who can nurse it. The mother, right? So Moses' mother, Jehoshaphat, was the one. And then when the time came, Pharaoh's daughter took Moses as her own son and took him into the palace 
And you can imagine provided him with the best clothes, the best food, the best education money could buy, everything. Egypt is a type of the world. And so Moses was educated in all the world, in all the things of the world, and he learned. But when he became of age, it says, maybe he was 18. We don't know how what it became of age really meant in terms of age. But he came to that place that he realized that I've been living in this palace. I've been the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I've had all these experiences, all these things, but I just don't feel right about it. I feel out of place. And as Christians in this world, we should feel out of place. There's that old expression that's so true. I feel like a fish out of water. We've all heard that, right? A fish out of water. You take a fish out of the water, it's going to die. And us as Christians, you put us into this world with the thinking of the world and the things of the world and how they hate Christ. It is. It's uncomfortable. We don't feel comfortable in this world. And Moses didn't feel comfortable with this lifestyle that he had. And before he could become attached to Christ, to the, to the God of heaven, he had to be detached from the world. And that's what it's all about in life. It's all about being separated from the world and set apart for God. And before you can be set apart for God, you've got to be separated from the world. One of the most unpopular topics in Christianity today is separation. People don't like to hear it because you're telling me that I have to be different than the people of the world. I've got to separate myself from them. I can't get involved in the things they do. I can't do the things that they do. I can't act like they do. I can't talk like they do. And so it becomes a crisis point in the point of a Christian life where we say, I am going to be separated from the world. And it's a decision you have to make. And it's not just a one-time life decision to make it. You have to make it every day. Every day we're going to be challenged. Every day we're going to be challenged. Are we going to stand for Christ or are we going to go with the flow of this world? That's what the world wants, wants you to do. Go with the flow of the world. Don't upset the apple cart, as it were. Or as one expression goes, don't rock the boat. You know, Christians rock the boat because we don't go along with what the world says. It's amazing. And we have to stand for the Lord. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, where it says, And do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? We don't mix. If you've ever made a salad and you've taken the oil in one container and the vinegar in the other container, and you mix them together, they don't mix very well, by the way. You've got to shake them and shake them and shake them. And then if you shake it and you don't do it, use it right away, it goes back into the, and they'll be separate again. And so it was never intended for God's people to mingle with this world and to become like the world. Never, never intended for that. In fact, it, the key to our victory over this world is not to be like the world, but to be like Christ in this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's the difference. It's not about isolation. We can't isolate ourselves, go up to the top of a mountain to a monastery and live as a monk. That doesn't work. Number one, you're taking your sinful self up there, so you take the sin with you. It's not going to work. We have to be in the world, 
We have to go to work. We have to go to school. We have to live in the neighborhood. We have to do all the things everybody else does. We have to drive our cars and put gas in the cars and go to the grocery store and do the laundry and go to the cleaners and do all the same things that people of the world do. Yet we have to do it for the Lord and we have to be different. We have to be separated from the evil and sinfulness of this world. And so it wasn't a popular thing. It'll never be popular to be separated, but it's the only way we can be successful for the Lord is to be separated. And that's what Moses did. There's another verse in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 to 18 that says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So that's the first step in it all is to is to be separated from the world. You know, the hardest word for us to learn in life, in our Christian life, the number hardest one to learn is to say no. To say no. We don't like to say no. We like to say yes. But sometimes you've got to say no, especially to the things of this world. And it's interesting that the Greek word that used here is translated refuse is arnoemi, which means to deny or say no. And that's one of the first things we have to learn. When Jesus taught his disciples about discipleship, he didn't mince any words. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't put it in such a way as to gather as many people as he could. He told it like it was. If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to follow me and deny yourself and take up your cost. It says in Luke 9.23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's what is required. So that's the first thing. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Moses, you mean you're going to give up that lifestyle? You're used to that lifestyle. You've got the best clothes, the best food, everything. Everything is good. But there was something missing. The Lord was missing from that scene. The people of God were missing for that scene. He knew he was a Hebrew. He knew he was part of the God of of Israel. And so he went out. He didn't do it in the right way. We all know the story, how he went and he saw two Hebrew men fighting and then he, he killed the, the one uh, Hebrew. And then the next day he, he came out and saw them fighting and it was, it was sad. But he had his heart in the right place, but he did the wrong thing. And sometimes we can do that. But he chose, he chose not and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Number two, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. This is another thing. Not only did he choose not to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now you say, was a person in their right mind that would choose affliction over all these riches and treasures of Egypt? To the world, it makes no sense. Moses, why would you leave such a great life there? Why would you go and you're rich, you're you're Pharaoh is going to make you responsible for, for Egypt and all these things are possible. And you're going to leave that? Yes, I'm going to leave that. And he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. You know, I think Moses, by faith, saw the sham of this world. And I call it a sham because the world glitters, it glows, it looks good, you like it, it seems good. But guess what? It's passing. 
It's temporary. It's not going to last. And, it, and here in the passage, it even talks about the passing pleasures of sin. Not that they're not pleasurable, but they're passing pleasures. And that's what the devil tempts us to do, is to follow these temp, tempting things of the world. And Moses, as a young man, knew the difference. He could see the difference. He saw, on the one hand, the Egyptians and how they lived, godless, following false gods and worshiping false gods. And over here, the people of God, simple. They loved God and they had a peace about them. And you can always tell. And that's what's so beautiful about our testimony for the Lord is we have something greater than anything in this world. Greater than anything in this world. Just having peace is greater than anything in the world. Just having true love, Christ's love, is greater than anything in this world. Just having joy in our lives every day, no matter what we go through, is greater than anything in this world. Someone once said, two men looked through the prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. And that is so true. And this man said, this is well exemplified in the history of Lot and Abraham. Remember when they were separated from each other, and God gave them the choice. And Abraham, he gave Lot the choice. And Lot chose for himself the beautiful, well-watered plain of the Jordan. But guess what city was in that plain? It was Sodom and in its twin city of Gomorrah. And so it was a sad choice that Lot made. But Lot had his choice first. And then Abraham took what was left. And God turned it into a blessing, gave him the promised land of Canaan, and the rest is history. And he blessed him so tremendously. And so we as Christians, we have made our choice to follow Christ, which is better choice than anything else we could ever do. And a wise Christian is one who realizes that this world, is its time is running out. It's crumbling all around us. It's going to go. And we as Christians should not love this world. We're all familiar with 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 to 17, I'm sure, that says these words. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John is very strong in this. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this is the key. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This world as is, is it is today, the Bible says is going to be destroyed by fire. I recently was reading that verse. We had it in the morning devotion about how it's going to be melted away. It's going to be destroyed and there's nothing left of it. We put so much emphasis on this world and it's going to be destroyed, burned with fire, burned up. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's amazing how we can put so much priority on something that is going to be destroyed. You know, it's amazing when you love this world and you put your heart on it, it takes you away from the Lord. It doesn't push you toward the Lord. It takes you away from the Lord. And J.C. Ryle, who is a godly Christian who has the Ryle study Bibles and things like that, he said this, He says, it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. 
To be a lukewarm Christian and to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to bear Christ's voice, follow Christ, and confess Christ requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins. It will cost us our self-righteousness, our ease, and our worldliness. All must be given up. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understand that he bids us to count the cost. The Lord did not want anyone to follow him who wasn't willing to count the cost because he put it out there. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to, you're going to be associated with me. And in John's gospel, he says, they hated me before they hated you. And so if people love Christ, they'll love us. But if they hate Christ, what's going to happen? They're going to hate us. They're not going to, going to like us at all. And that's why we're going to be unpopular. So Moses, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And number two, he considered in the treasures that he had in Christ, he suffered affliction with the people of God and considered it to be a great blessing. And number three, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ's greater riches. Now, this is hard for people in the world to understand how you can esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of this world. But as a Christian, you can understand it because you see what you have in the Lord is so much better than what the world has. So much better. Not just a little better, but a huge amount better because it's all based on what the Lord has done for us on the cross. And that's what Moses chose. He chose to esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of heaven. And who in the Bible does that remind you of? To me, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul. And when he spoke the words to the Philippians in the third chapter in verses 7 to 8, and he said these words, But what things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for Christ. Paul took everything on the plus side that he had in this world and he put it over here and he says, it's rubbish. It's garbage. It's meaningless. It's worthless. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So Paul took his education He took his religious training and upbringing and all the things he had and he said those things put them up against Christ and there's no comparison. And that's what Moses did. Moses weighed on one side all the treasures of Egypt in this world. And then he put on the other side the reproach of Christ, identifying with the Lord, being the Lord's servant. And he put that and he saw, look at the difference. Being a Christian is so much greater than being in the world. So much greater. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, you're a CEO of a top Fortune 500 company, you have all the money, all the possessions in this world. It doesn't matter because you don't have it in your heart. You don't have the peace. You don't have the love. You don't have the forgiveness of your sins. And so you're going through life looking for one more thing to make you happy that won't. Adel gave a message not long ago on what does it, make, what does it take to make us happy. Christ makes us happy. 
He allows us to experience whatever we go through in life, as difficult as it is, with Him. He takes us through it. He can take us through the most difficult circumstances. And that's what Moses said. I'd rather go through life with the Lord and go through suffering and reproach and and shame for the sake of Christ. I'd rather do that than have all the good things of this world and end up in hell. And yet that's what people are doing today. They're bartering everything to follow what the devil says is the path to happiness, success, and fulfillment. And it always ends on that broad road, always leads to destruction. And the road that Christ gives is the narrow road and it leads to everlasting life. And he said, Jesus said, and few there are that find it. Yes, it does cost to be a Christian. It really does. There's a price to be paid. And the world thinks we're crazy. The world thinks we've lost our minds. It reminds me of when Felix was talking to Paul. He says, Paul, your great learning has driven you mad. No, it didn't drive me mad, uh, your, your highness. In fact, I'm in more sound mind than I've ever been before because I've experienced the love and forgiveness of Christ. And that's what Paul went through. But the things of the world, the people of the world, they consider it foolishness. But for us who are the children of God, we show that the gospel is the power of God. So Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ far greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. And number four, Moses forsook Egypt and endured to the end. I don't know if Moses knew what he signed up for when he realized that he was going to be taking about three and a half million or three million people out of Egypt to live in the wilderness for 40 years and to find them complaining, murmuring, grumbling, wanting to go back to Egypt, wanting the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlics of Egypt. Oh, we had it better in Egypt. Did you really have it better in Egypt when you were slaves and you were mistreated and you were given uh, straw and then they took away the straw and they said, you've got to make the same number of bricks, but you've got to do it with less. And you had to go out and gather your own straw to make them. No, they had it bad in Egypt, but they they kept wanting to go back and they gave Moses the hardest time. And yet when God said, Moses, let me destroy this people and we'll start off with you and we'll make a whole new nation. Moses could have said, yes, that sounds good to me, Lord. We'll finally be rid of these whiners. We'll finally be rid of these complainers. Oh, they say we don't have any water to drink. So God gave him what? Water out of the rock. He said, oh, we don't have any food to eat. So God gave them manna for 40 years that lasted until they went into the promised land. Everything that they complained about, they had it. You're hungry for meat? God gave them quail and all these things. And Moses could have said, yes, let's get rid of these these grumpy people, these people that are complaining. They, they want to go back to Egypt. They're giving me a hard time. I mean, I've got an Excedrin headache. You know, they used to have commercials. I've got an Excedric headache and it's this big. Well, his headache was caring for these people for 40 years who didn't appreciate his ministry and his, and his leadership. It's amazing. But when a time came down to it, he says, no, Lord, what will the other nations think? What will they think? You brought them out into the wilderness and you weren't able to take them to the, to the land and you killed them in the wilderness? 
Lord, for your glory, for your sake, don't do it, Lord. Please don't do it. These are your people, Lord. And he interceded for them, for the grumblers, for the murmurers, for the complainers and whiners and those who didn't appreciate anything. He still loved them. And that was what I really appreciate about Moses. He still loved the people of God. You know, as people, we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we're not perfect yet. Not till we get to heaven will we be perfect. We're going to have times where we're not going to get along sometimes with each other. That's what happened with the Israelites. It happens in modern times too. But praise be to God, we have a love for each other. We share the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. And when people walk into our church, they give testimony to the fact, boy, you guys really love each other. And really, that's what our church is all about. It's a church family. And even in families, though, you're going to have sometimes some issues, right? But praise be to God that love conquers all things. And Moses was blessed because he led these people. And then he went in up to the mountain and he got to see the promised land. But because of his sin, he had a sin where he was supposed to speak to the rock and the water was going to come out. But he got so mad at them. And you can just imagine if you saw this as a movie, you'd, you wouldn't blame Moses too much because he got the he had the rod right in his in his hand. But he was supposed to speak to the rock. Well, he got mad at them because they were complaining and he struck the rock. And that was his one mistake, his one sin. And it cost him. And God said, because of my holiness, you, you cannot go into the land. You can see it with your eyes, but you cannot go in. And I oftentimes think, Lord, is that really fair? You know, he only had that one problem there like that. But God is holy. God is holy. God is righteous. He doesn't tolerate it. And we have to to hold ourselves accountable for what happens in our lives like this. And so when we want to count the cost of following the Lord, we have to be all in and we have to be committed to him. And Moses made the right choice. And we have to make the right choice as well to consider what's really important in life is to follow the Lord, to do his will, to put him first in everything. And he'll bless us tremendously. The story is told of an incredible situation over in London. I think this might have been back in the Second War because it's about that time when these things were happening. There was a uh, soldier there who was blind. He had probably been blinded by the war. And he was playing the piano in a London hospital for the different people there. And he was playing beautiful music, beautiful music on the piano. And people were coming in and out of the room all the time. And he was used to that because he would, people would always come in and there would always be commotion. But he kept going, playing, playing the piano. All of a sudden, somebody comes up to him, a man comes up to him in the, uh, from the back of the room there. And he says, well done, my friend. And so the surprised soldier turns around. He's blind now. You understand he can't see him. But he thought he was maybe one of his comrades from the war. And he says, and who are you? And quick as a flash, the man who was standing there before him said this, you're king. In that instance, the man, the blind man stood up and saluted and honored his king who he'd given his eyes for and he'd fought in the, in the battles for. He'd given everything for his country's service. And it's a true story and how that king 
honored him for what he had done because he was playing for these people the beautiful, beautiful music of praise. And that's one day what we're going to do. We're going to stand before the Lord one day and we're going to fall at his feet. And we're going to say, thank you, Lord, that you've saved us. Thank you, gave us an opportunity to serve you. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us through to this place that we're going to be with you forever and ever. But we have to count the cost. We have to count the cost because a life of service and a life of sacrifice is never going to be easy. It's going to cost us something. All that I am, all that I own, all that I have, it costs. It really does. And to summarize today, when we're followers of Christ like Moses, we have to weigh it in the balance, count the cost, and see that a life of Christ means more to us than anything this world can give us. Anything, anything cannot compare. And that's what Moses did. And he considered the reproach of Christ far greater than the treasures of Egypt. He forsook Egypt. He gave it up. He separated himself from it. He was set apart for God. It wasn't easy to take those people through that 40-year journey, but he was willing to do it. And the question is for you and I today, what about us? Are we willing to count the cost? Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll give everything, everything, all that I am? May the Lord help us to do it. That hymn, right, hymn that we sang this morning, I'm going to quote the words one more time. Let's close our eyes and listen to it and see if we can apply it to our own lives and situations. What will it cost me, me, to follow the Lord? What is the price of a life that's restored? If I am willing to walk in his way, what is the price I must pay? Everything, everything, all that I own, everything, everything, all that I am, everything, everything, all that I love, that is the price I must pay. That is the price I will pay. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today. It's, it's convicting. It convicts me, Lord. It challenges me because the things of this world oftentimes get our attention because we see them. We can feel them and touch them and the things of this world. They seem so important. They, they seem so um, glittery and, and good to us, but they, they leave nothing but hollowness and emptiness and leanness of soul. But when we have you, Lord, in our lives, we are spiritually healthy and we're walking with you and it means so much to us. Help us, Lord, to leave behind this world, to be in it but not to be of it, to live a life that proclaims you, Lord, and your love for others. And help us, Lord, when people ask us why we believe, to give our testimony, to give why we believe, to share with what you did for us on the cross and dying for our sins. And the hope that we have, which is so far greater than any hope in this world. And so we pray that you'll take us home safely today and help us to think about this message, Lord. What does it cost to be a Christian and help us to be willing to pay that price? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.